welcome to the Love Your Life Project, a gentle guide to living a wholehearted, meaningful life. In these trying times, listen to stories, poems, musings, mystical wisdom to inspire you, bringing a little more light to your day. I'm Anuramana. Hello again, dear friends. So lovely to be with you again. And I thought today it would be lovely to take a voyage together through Ireland and its poetry. Um, it certainly has a, a fabled place in the canon of world literature, really. And of course, being from Ireland, I have a very special relationship to it. In fact, it seems to me that almost everybody in Ireland who grew up there um, has a poem in them or is a poet. Everybody. I remember, just as I'm sharing here, I remember Gay Byrne. He was a very famous talk show host and he had a radio show and a TV show. But I remember he would go around the streets of Dublin and actually around Ireland interviewing people. And I remember, oh, it was an American couple that he was interviewing and he asked them, you know, they said they were going to a wedding and he said, oh, do you have a song to share? And they said, no. Do you have a poem to share? They said, no. Oh, he said, don't go to the wedding. <laughs> it's just the way it is in Ireland. Um, everybody has a poem. We had to learn them by heart, you know, in school, and certainly songs, which are, you know, an extension of poetry, really. Um, so, you know, people are very happy to share them for the most part. <laughs> Maybe that's a gross generalization, but that's my experience. And one thing that is really beautiful in Ireland is that you will find books of poems on the bestseller list. It's very rare, you know, unless it's a Nobel laureate in other countries to have um, a book of poems, you know, number one on the bestseller list. But in Ireland, it's very common. And I think it's because we are schooled in the beauty of the poetic voice. And it's sort of almost inbred in, in the culture. And a story I'd like to share with you from the Irish Times newspaper many years ago really illustrates this. So I'm just going to read you an excerpt. I clipped it from the paper because it really spoke about how poetry is seen in Ireland. Some years ago, I had given a reading at a small library in the west of Ireland, an Irish-speaking area, when, at its conclusion, an elderly man approached me. In broken English, he asked me if I would care to examine his shoulder. He had a bad pain there. Perhaps I would look at it. 
Not knowing quite what to say, I replied that it would be advisable for him to see a medical doctor. His eyes never left mine. But you are a poet, he said, rubbing his arm. You can cure me. Embarrassed now and desiring to get away, I told him he was mistaken. I couldn't cure him. But you're a poet, he repeated. I mumbled something vague about doctors and the like and moved away. I felt defeated, humbled, a fraud. To him, I was a fraud. This story is true. I trust he found with the doctor what he could not with the poet in whom he had placed the last vestiges of an ancient faith. I don't believe it's enough to say that he had stepped out of another age. To him, a poet was a man in whom various magical as well as medical powers were invested. A poet should possess the power to heal. Since clearly I did not, I was not a poet. I was a pretender who made pretty sounds with a half foreign language. And I'm sorry I don't have the name of this particular poet, but it really is an amazing story. And it goes back to the idea of the poet as healer. You know, the word heal is related to making whole, the idea of making whole, which is to mend. And poets certainly had that power. You know, in the old days, poets in Ireland went through a very rigorous training. And they often were allied with a particular chieftain or someone in power and were used, really. They had a great amount of power within a particular tribe. And, you know, they say that the poet should be the spokesperson for the tribe. For many years, that was the case in ancient Ireland. Maybe not so much today. But still, there is a great affection for and reverence for poetry in Ireland. So, many years ago, the Irish Times newspaper and Poetry Ireland came together and they did a survey. They asked people in Ireland to write in and share what their favorite poem was. And for many months, people were writing in. Everybody had an opinion, as they tend to do in Ireland. <laughs> but the poem that came in at number one um, was by W.B. Yeats, very famous Irish poet. And he has many poems that are taught in the schools and that are really wonderful, wonderful poems. The one that came in at number one was The Lake Isle of Inishfree. Yeats had left his beloved County Sligo and gone to London for a while and just wandering in the industrialized city he began to long for the countryside that he had left and wrote this poem as a kind of ode to that area. The Lake Isle of Inishri I will arise and go now and go to Inishri 
and a small cabin built there of clay and wattles made. Nine bean rows will I have there, a hive for the honey bee, and live alone in the bee loud glade. And I shall have some peace there, for peace comes dropping slow, dropping from the veils of the morning to where the cricket sings. There midnight's all a glimmer and noon a purple glow and evening full of the linnet's wings. I will arise and go now for always night and day I hear lake water lapping with low sounds by the shore while I stand on the roadway or on the pavement's grey. I hear it in the deep heart's core. While I stand on the roadway or on the pavement's grey, I hear it in the deep heart's core. So a poem full of nostalgia and certainly for those of us introverts um, who like to be away from the madding crowd. <laughs> it's a very alluring poem, but beautiful in its own right. And it actually was number one out of the top hundred poems in Ireland. So there are many others by Yeats there in that list. So I thought I would have a little a little consideration of what my favorite poem or poems are that have come out of Ireland and it's very hard to choose but I think I'll I'll stick with Yeats first and one of his poems that I memorized many years ago because it felt so beautiful to me and poignant kind of bittersweet was a poem called When You Are Old and a little backstory about Yeats. He, when he was young, he saw a woman of really regal bearing standing under a, I think it was a cherry or an, probably an apple blossom tree, and he fell instantly in love with her. Her name was Maud Gone, and he asked her to marry him. He pursued her for a long time, but she didn't believe that poetry had any power. She was much more focused on politics and the political situation, and she didn't feel poetry could do very much, so she rejected him. And Yeats, rather than getting all het up about it um, and becoming depressed, he kind of used Maud Gahn as his muse, you know, as his inspiration for writing some of the most beautiful love poems ever. But I will say that he never really gave up his love for her and pursuit of her, and she married someone else and had a child, a daughter, Isolt, and he actually proposed to her as well and as you can imagine, was turned down. But still, he used the these rejections as material, as fuel, as many writers do, for his own, his own creative art. So, 
here's the poem that's actually addressed to her. When you are old, when you are old and gray and nodding by the fire, take down this book and slowly read and dream of the soft look your eyes had once and of their shadows deep. How many loved your moments of glad grace and loved your beauty with a love false or true. But one man loved the pilgrim soul in you and loved the sorrows of your changing face. And bending down beside the glowing bars, murmur a little sadly how love fled and paced upon the mountains overhead and hid his face amid a crowd of stars. I just love that line, but one man loved the pilgrim soul in you. Just the depth of his belief, his deep heartfelt passion that he really did love Maud Gan all the way through, despite not being received by her in the way he would have wished. And so another candidate for my favorite poem by an Irish poet <laughs> is Brandon Kennelly, who actually just passed a few months ago. He was a wonderful, kind of robust, popular poet and, you know, very visible on the Irish literary landscape. And actually, I've always found it quite hilarious that he was a spokesperson for Toyota Cars way back, uh, many years ago. He would advertise Toyota Cars and sing their praises on TV. And because he was a poet, people trusted him and would, you know, buy the cars. But the big joke was that he actually never learned to drive. You'd just see him walking around the streets of Dublin very often. But it just was kind of a lovely testament to how poets are viewed in Ireland. So he has many wonderful poems, but I have, I'm particularly partial to this one called The Swimmer because I'm a fanatic swimmer myself and I think he really captures in the rhythms of this poem the sensuality of that gift of total immersion at oneness with the water. The Swimmer. For him, the Shannon opens like a woman. He has stepped over the stones and cut the water with his body, but this river does not bleed for any man. How easily he mounts the waves, riding them as though they whispered subtle invitations to his skin conspiring with the sun to offer him a white, wet rhythm. The deep beneath gives full support to the marriage of wave and heart. The waves he breaks turn back to stare 
at the repeated ceremony and the hills of Clare witness the fluent weddings, the flawless congregation, the choiring foam that sings to limbs which must once more, rising and falling in the sun, return to shore. Again he walks upon the stones, a new music in his heart, a river in his bones, flowing forever through his head, private as a grave or as the bridal bed. So I'm sure you could pick up on the very sensual, almost erotic um, imagery there, but it's the rhythmic beauty of this flow between swimmer and water that is so beautiful to me in that poem. And so my final choice for best poem in Ireland, <laughs> actually it could be any poems by Ivan Boland. She to me is the uncrowned laureate, poet laureate of Ireland. Um, and she had a hard time really uh, establishing herself in Ireland. If you go back to the 1950s, which isn't that far back, there were very few Irish women poets. It was really a field dominated by men for many centuries. In fact, there was a kind of comprehensive anthology of Irish literature, supposed to be you know, the final word on the best literature ever published, ever written in Ireland. It was three volumes full, the Field Day Anthology of Irish Literature. And I remember saving up to buy it. But it turned out that the editors hadn't included a single female poet in that entire collection. And, of course, there was major upheaval around it and lots of criticism about that and the editors said that they had made their selections based on quality on literary merit as opposed to gender which is all well and good but at the same time there have been many many wonderful women poets who have emerged since the 1950s who certainly deserved a place there and Ivan Boland the poet I mentioned really spoke out about that and I remember she was called a belligerent feminist by some critic but to me she was a poet of the domestic she wrote a lot about home life in a very elegant way she wrote a lot about Ireland, the country itself. And I'll read you this beautiful poem by her, which really incorporates both her, her love of Ireland and also her family. The Lost Land. I have two daughters they are all I ever wanted from the earth, or almost all. I also wanted one piece of ground, 
one city trapped by hills, one urban river, an island in its element. So I could say mine, my own, and mean it. Now they are grown up and far away, and memory itself has become an emigrant, wandering in a place where love dissembles itself as landscape, where the hills are the color of a child's eyes, where my children are distances, horizons. At night, on the edge of sleep, I can see the shore of Dublin Bay, its rocky sweep and its granite pier. Is this, I say, how they must have seen it, backing out on the mailboat at twilight, shadows falling on everything they had to leave and would love forever? And then I imagine myself at the landward rail of that boat, searching for the last sight of a hand. I see myself on the underworld side of that water, the darkness coming in fast, saying all the names I know for a lost land. Ireland, absence, daughter, All the names I know for a lost land. Ireland, absence, daughter. So, I think I'll leave you with one final poem that's certainly up there in terms of wonderful poetry that's come out of this small island. And it's called The Emigrant Irish. It's by Ivan Boland as well. And, you know, it used to make me cry um, when I would read it because, of course, there was such a huge history of emigration from Ireland, particularly during the brutal famine in the 1850s. And um, now when I read it, it feels like it would be equally applicable to all of the refugees who have been either ousted from or had to flee their homeland, thinking particularly in this moment of the Afghan communities who have had their lives completely upended and disrupted and are, if they've been fortunate enough to find a place to land, finding themselves with this whole new world to navigate. The Emigrant Irish Like oil lamps, we put them out the back of our houses, of our minds. We had lights better than, newer than. And then a time came, this time, and now we need them, their dread makeshift example. They would have thrived on our necessities. They would have thrived on our necessities. What they survived, we could not even live. By their lights now, it is time to imagine how they stood there, 
what they stood with, that their possessions may become our power. Cardboard, iron, their hardships parceled in them. Patience, fortitude, long-suffering in the bruise-colored dusk of the new world and all the old songs and nothing to lose and all the old songs and nothing to lose so very very touching tribute to those who had to leave their country certainly in the old days it was not by choice so I hope you found some inspiration here or heard a poem you weren't familiar with and maybe you could have a little think about what your favorite poem is and why and I'll be back again I'm sure in more episodes to talk about Ireland so much that can be said but I'll leave you with this one quote I think from Terry Eagleton he was a critic and it just speaks to the rebel of the Irish in the Irish character he said in Ireland orange traffic lights mean go <laughs> okay well I'm going I'll see you next time Lots of love. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with others. And if you'd like to hear more, you can find me on my website, onaramana.com. And also on there is a link to become a member of my Patreon family where, for a donation, I offer additional gifts and bonuses, like guided meditations and private Zoom calls. Much love to you. Till next time.